You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. In the aisles, it'll be around 169. So if you need a word this morning, please bring those Bibles out, page 169. So this morning... We are going to be talking about a woman named Rahab. She is the next person that we get to discover in our Hall of Faith series. And if you're not familiar with her story, it involves some mature, some adult themes around sexuality. So parents, please use your discretion, your own personal discretion this morning regarding young ears and content, okay? So as many of you know, I also serve one of my other roles, my, one of my other hats, as a licensed professional counselor. And it's re- it really has been an honor for me to serve in that role, and I've had the privilege of having a private practice now for over 12 years. And I specialize or, or tend to see adults who are struggling with their sexuality and or gender identity. And at times, that can be a pretty wide umbrella, and so I see a myriad of different issues come my way. And I found myself one time, several, several years ago, sitting with a woman who was quite composed, keenly observant, gave direct eye contact with me, and without any emotion, She said, I can't get back. So I paused with her and I said, can't, you can't get back where? So she said it again, I can't get back. I keep trying, but I can't get back. So I paused again and asked her, where are you trying to get back to? And then she lowered her head, and she said, I can't get back to me. I can't find myself anymore. I don't recognize myself. And in that moment, I took a deep breath with her in and out, because then I felt and reflected the heaviness that I now felt with her, and said, well, let's try to find her together. You see, this woman's job, her job, was in the sex industry as a prostitute, and she wanted out. In order for someone to do this type of work, it requires a level of personal detachment that is so severe from how God has designed them that their sense of self, of who they are, is often fragmented through the process of exploitation. This fragmentation can show up as spiritual, as psychological, and emotional walls that are built in order for her to survive. As she learns only to offer parts of herself, only parts and never the whole, she doesn't feel like a congruent person. So there are often walls around her. But this woman that I sat with, 
She craved wholeness. She craved living as one congruent, dignified, honest person. She craved feeling of worth and value. And somewhere deep, somewhere deep inside her inner walls, she had dreams. We uncovered dreams of her being able to trust God, of her being able to walk with God again, of her being able to be in a safe, loving marriage. She even had dreams of one day even maybe becoming a mother. This woman that I sat with, she echoes the longings that our next Hall of Fame character, a woman named Rahab, and we'll find her story in Joshua. So before we dive into chapter 2, I want to recap chapter 1 because this gives us a really important context. Okay, so Joshua 1, here's the setting that we are working with. So the Israelite, Mo- Israelite leader, Moses, he just passed away. And they haven't made it to the promised land yet. And so God is revealing to Joshua, Joshua, you are the next leader. I am passing the leadership baton to you. You are going to be the one to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And if you take a picture, if you see this, this is kind of a map of what was the promised land. What was he, re- what was he reflecting? What was he talking about? So the promised land, this is a pretty vast area. You see there's many territories. So this would have included Jerusalem. This would have included Bethlehem. This would have included Nazareth. This would have included Jericho. Okay? So, by the way, this land, this promised land to the Israelites was not just open, available land that they could just walk right into. Many of these towns and cities were already inhabited, many of them by the Canaanites. So this meant that they were going to have to defeat many of these Canaanite armies and tribes in order to live freely in the promised land. So now we see why the Lord in Joshua 1 begins to speak over Joshua, be strong and courageous. This occurs three times in chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Okay, so verse 7. Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law of Moses my servant commanded you. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the Lord is speaking over Joshua. Be strong and courageous. And then Joshua takes that message and he goes to his Israelite officers. He says, here is what the Lord has revealed to us. And then his officers begin to repeat back to him their loyalty to their new leader, Joshua, in verse 16. 
Just as we obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, and as he is with Moses, only be strong and courageous. So this is a pretty big theme. Pretty big theme. The Lord is speaking over Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua's officers reflect that, speaking over Joshua and themselves. Let's be strong. Let's be courageous. Right? It's like rally time, bottom of the ninth. Flip your hat inside out. Don't wash the jerseys. It's go time. Be strong. Be courageous. Right? So how many of us, I'm curious, how many of us this morning could use an encouraging word from the Lord around this theme? Lord, I need to hear from you. And he reveals, be strong, be courageous. I am with you. I am with you. Or we may need to hear that from a dear friend this morning. Be strong, be courageous. He is with you. This next step that you are nervous about, he is with you. Be strong, be courageous. Our hearts need that. So this is the tone. This is the tone that is happening as we go into Joshua 2. Okay, are we ready to read? All right, let's do it. So Joshua 2, verse 1 through 7. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, that, and that's the name of the town, I promise you. Um, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But... She had taken them up to her roof and hidden them under stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men sent out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the forge of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. All right, so let's take a look. First of all, let's take a look at the city of Jericho. What was it like? It was inhabited by the Canaanites. They were the ones ruling in this city. And this was a pretty impressive city for this day and age. It had two rings of walls. You see an outer ring and an inner ring. The outer ring would have had this retaining wall, so that light beige color would have been like a retaining wall, and it would have been roughly around 12 to 15 feet high. And then on top of that, that darker brown wall would have been another 20 to 26 feet high. So they were steep and they were strong. The darker brown, it would have had a width closer to around six feet wide of mud brick. Can you imagine six feet wide of mud brick going about 20 feet high? This was a fortress. 
This was a fortress. This was Jericho. Inside the inner walls, so not the outer wall, but the inner wall, that's where people of privilege lived. People of wealth, people of high religious order, the temple of worship would have been there. All their ceremonies and sacrifices and rituals would have been in that inner ring. Those who lived in the outer wall would have been less protected, less valued in this city. So the two spies head into Jericho. And let me say, this was not a leisurely trip. Because back in verse 1, if we were to actually read every verse, you would see Joshua's laying out like a three-day turnaround. He's telling his camp, in three-day turnaround, we're going to begin. We're going to begin crossing the Jordan. Okay, so they were there. The spies were there on mission. So the spies go into the house of Rahab, her house, and we'll learn this even in verse 15 coming up, but her house would have been in the outer ring. And how we know this is because her house is said to have been built literally into the outer walls of Jericho. So if we go back to that city, that um, big city slide, her house was literally built into the outer walls, which means she was less protected and she was less valued. She was living in the margins of her own city. So some translations refer to her house as a guest inn, which it may have been both. It may have been her home. And it may have also been a guest inn where lots of travelers came and went near the city gate, which, don't you think, that might have been a really good place to get intel of what's happening in this city of Jericho. What's happening? Who's coming? Who's going? What's the temperature of this town? And because of Rahab's vocation, which was what? Oh, that's right. She was a prostitute. That gets our attention, doesn't it? What in the world is going on here? The Hebrew word for her type of prostitution that was used in this specific passage is the word zona. And that particular Hebrew word refers to a prostitution that is more common and ordinary for a wage. And this distinction is, is important because there's another, there's another Hebrew word for prostitution that is used for cultic ceremonies and rituals, which Jericho, this city, was known for. So in this town, both types of prostitution was common. And because she lived there, this normalized a sense of her vocation or her job. It would have seemed pretty common. So in Rahab's house, so the spies were in Rahab's house, which may have also been a guest in, which may have also included some brothel amenities on the side for guests who wanted to pay more. But it's important for us to note that our text does not suggest any immoral motives or um, on behalf of the Israelite spies, but rather may reveal an extension, a radical, a radical extension of God's grace 
to put these two spies into a home of a woman whose very job was to be in the know, to be aware of her surroundings at all times in order to survive. She was keenly aware, keenly aware, and we're about to see how keenly aware she was of what was going on. So here we are. We're only in verse 1. I'm just describing verse 1. And our leading Hall of Fame woman already has three strikes against her. She's a woman, which was not highly valued or protected in this culture. She's a Canaanite who were known for worshiping many false gods and often in erotic and wicked ways, which could even include human sacrifices. This happened. And she was a prostitute, which was absolutely prohibited under the law of Moses in Deuteronomy. This would not have been okay. So meanwhile, the king of Jericho finds out that Israelites, the Israelite spies were there. So these spies, I kind of realized, these spies weren't very good at being spies. So of course they're on the Lord's team, right? Because that's just who the Lord uses. Um, And the king sends a message to Rahab, bring them out to me, bring them out. And in verse 4, here's a critical moment. Verse 4, she betrays her king. She betrays her king and covers for the Israelite spies a defining, courageous moment in Rahab's life that drastically changes the course of her life. She instead brings the spies up to her roof, which most likely would have been a flat roof in the architecture of that day. A flat roof. And up there, she hides these two men under bundles of flax that were drying out on her rooftop. So what is flax? Flax is a plant that can grow up to three feet tall. And linen fabric can be made from dried out flax stalks. Okay? It has to be a process of repeatedly drying and soaking, drying and soaking these flax fibers. So these stalks were probably around three feet, but these were grown men. So you think, how many bundles of flax must she have had already on her roof drying out in order to hide two grown men? Probably a lot. Probably a lot. This was harvest season. This was harvest season. This was harvest season for Rahab. This was harvest season for the Israelites. It is time to gather and to go take your land. It's harvest season. How amazing how the Lord was orchestrating these what can seem like minor details. So this brings us to our first point on your notes page. Courage produces courage. Actually, our second point. Courage produces courage. So the first point out of Joshua 1, speaking strength and courage over one another and how we need that. And how that strength and courage we saw in chapter 1 is flowing down through Rahab's life in chapter 2. 
She's responding to their strength and courage with strength and courage. Courage produces courage. So I still have this lingering question, though, of why. Why would she do this? Why would she betray her king and risk her life and probably her entire family's life? Well, let's find out. So let's keep reading. I refer to this as a spy thriller because it's a literally a spy thriller. It's like, what's going to happen next, you know? So Joshua 2, verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, Okay, I just want to pause right there because sometimes I really enjoy how, how the word uses so very few adjectives at times to describe a conversation that is happening as if it was eh, nonchalant, like, oh, by the way, she had this conversation with the spies. And I'm thinking, I bet, <laughs> I'm wondering if it should have read more like this. She said to them with great fear and trembling as if her literal life depended on it. Right? Like this is what was happening. So let's keep going. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water and the Red Sea for you for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. Wow. There is so much packed in to that nonchalant conversation, (laughs) right? Like there was so much. First, Rahab reveals all that she knows because she had already heard about the Lord. And the fact that she's even using the Lord in her communication to the Israelites is showing a great deal of what she knows already. The Lord delivering the Israelites, parting the Red Sea, giving them victories, and he's about to give them her land. She knows the whole plan. She is keenly aware. Then she goes on to reveal the mental state of her city. A great A great fear of you has fallen on us and we are discouraged. Which this was is so important, you guys. This was so important because her revealing the mental state of Jericho was actually the confirmation the Israelite spies were looking for in Jericho. Joshua says, go check out Jericho. How are they? They were looking for the fulfillment of, They were looking for the fulfillment of Deuteronomy, right? So the Lord's prepared them well, 
and they know what they're looking for. Let me just read this real quick out of Deuteronomy 11.25, if you want to write that down. 11.25, it says, no one, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, no one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and the fear of you on the whole land, wherever you go. That was their checkpoint. And here, Joshua 2, it's being fulfilled. So I don't think the spies were there to analyze the walls of Jericho and say, yep, Jericho, it's a fortress. We can't get in. (laughs) I think they knew that. I think they knew that. No, they were observing the morale of Jericho. Is it ready to be overtaken? And Rahab confirms it. Yes, we are in a great fear. We are discouraged. We know what's happening. But then she, she answers. She answers the why to why she betrays her king of Jericho. She says to them, The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. I know that I know that Yahweh is the one. He's the one. I've been hearing. I've been seeing. He's the one. And these spies, they weren't evangelizing her. She wasn't being impressed or wooed by the spies. No, she was moved and impressed upon hearing how the God of Israel was caring for his people and delivering them, protecting them, and providing for them. She saw his faithfulness to the Israelites and says, I want to be a part of that. That is the true God. He is the one. He is the one. I can't help but think, of how important it us how important it is for us today even today for us to be sharing with others who God is what he has done what he has done how he has shown up in our lives how he has been faithful how he has provided for us how he has never forsaken us And to never downplay or doubt even the impact that's going to have on people around us when you share of the one true God of Israel as Yahweh. He's the one. Mm. Take a quick drink here. So, as if that wasn't inspiring enough, she then courageously asks the spies, please, show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. I have given you refuge. Please give my family refuge. And she asks to be saved. She asks to be rescued. She doesn't assume she's not worth saving. She doesn't assume that her ethnicity or her social status or her sins 
have disqualified her from being welcomed into the family of God. She asks. And here is how the spies respond. Let's read in verse 14. Our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Isn't that an amazing response? Isn't that an amazing response to a woman, a Canaanite, and a prostitute? The Israelites said, yes, we will treat you kindly and faithfully. They didn't respond with disgust. Who do you think you are asking for such mercy? You are unclean. You practice wicked ways. No, they responded with kindness. They responded to her with kindness. And I think what a powerful representation of the God of Israel. The truth, the true character of who this God really is. Amen? All right, let's keep reading. Let's see what else happens. Verse 15. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was in the part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father, your father, mother, your brothers, and all your family into this house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. For those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from your oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Woo! So she begins to assist them. By the way, do you know what you can do with fibers of linen made from flax that have been properly dried and strengthened over time? Do you know what you can do? You can make a rope. A pretty strong one, too. So this is pretty interesting. Woven together rope. A scarlet rope that Rahab just happened to have on hand. That's interesting. And it had to be, at minimum, 30 feet long. 30 feet long, right? Because she had, this had to go outside her window down those huge, steep, strong walls in order for them to be released and escape, right? This was, this was not some little rope. This was a strong, heavy-duty, scarlet rope 
And this specific place and time that these spies showed up in a woman's house who happened to have flax drying on her roof so they could be hidden, who happened to have flax that was woven together to make a rope so that they could escape and give the message to Joshua, the town is ready for us to be overtaken. This was powerful, powerfully orchestrated. So the use of scarlet red rope would have been symbolic, would have been symbolic. We often jump to the New Testament thinking maybe it represented the blood of Christ, but a lot of the commentaries that I read connected this to the Old Testament context of how the Lord would often use the color red or the blood of a lamb to mark a house that should be passed over and saved, preserved. And we've heard about that in Exodus 12, about the Passover that was held in Egypt. Okay? So this would have been symbolic and a common symbol for the Israelites. Pass over this home. Save this home that has this scarlet red rope coming out of her window. So this chapter ends with the spies going back to their camp and telling Joshua, again, they're not commenting on the walls. They're commenting on how the Lord has given the whole land to them because of the fear that is in Jericho. Again, the fulfillment of Deuteronomy. So this brings us to our third point. Faith declares and acts. Faith is spoken out and faith is acted upon. So she heard about the Lord, she believed in him, and she declared her faith, and then she acted on her faith. She risked it all, believing in the one who was bigger than her circumstances. So then, Joshua kind of teases you a little bit, and he makes you wait four chapters to, to find out what happens, okay? But in those four chapters... Um, he is actually carefully, diligently preparing for battle. So there's a lot in those four chapters. But for our sake this morning, we're going to go straight to see what happens with Rahab specifically. So finally, in Joshua 6, verse 15, on the seventh day, They got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on this day they circled the city seven times. And what that means is prior to that, the Lord had given instructions for the Israelites to circle around the town of Jericho, to walk around the town of Jericho one time for six days. And that was the only thing they were to do, walk around the whole city with the Ark of the Covenant for six days. Now on the seventh day, they do the same, except they walk around it seven times. Okay? Verse 16. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies she sent. 
And then I want you to go to verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and took the city. So Rahab was staying put in her home. And I wonder what may have been going on in her mind as she was staying put, as she could see through her window that was in the outer wall. She could see the Israelites are just walking around her city one time each day. Like, what is going on? What in the world? Ah, did I make the wrong choice? You know, like, they're just walking around. No, she stayed put. She kept her faith. And on the seventh day, she would have heard. She would have heard those trumpet blasts and a loud shout from the Israelite army. She would have felt the trembling in her city. She would have felt the shaking and she would have heard the rocks falling down. Whew, that's just like Amy Goosebumps. She would have also heard, she would have also heard the horrific battle right outside her door of people that she knew, that she lived with daily. They were being slain. And I just want to take a moment to just acknowledge that that this part of the Old Testament history where God instructs for Israelites to come take over whole cities and devote the land unto him by not allowing any survivors, uh, this is very difficult. This is very difficult to sit with and to fully understand the gravity of that situation. And really, honestly, honestly, it deserves a much more in-depth, focused teaching to really understand the fullness, the cultural implication, and the, and the greater spiritual context for these type of battles. There's a lot happening with these battles. This was not done nonchalantly by the hand of God. It was not. So there are no simple answers when I engage with this part of Scripture. It's more like a holding place of like, ah, I don't fully grasp this. But here's what I know. Here's what I do know. Here is Rahab, a woman, a Canaanite, and a prostitute, and her home was literally built into the impenetrable walls of Jericho. Impenetrable. And she finally says and declares, Jericho, you've had parts of me, but you will never have all of me. Her heart 
was given over to the God of Israel. And the walls came down. The walls came down for her. She let the God of Israel in. Rahab's life, I really see this in such a powerful, beautiful way. Rahab's life is running parallel to what the Lord was establishing in the promised land among his people. I want pure devotion in this land. I want pure devotion from you. I want you, all of you. I want your worship. I want your faith. I want your daily life. I want your marriages. I want your kiddos. I want all of you. This city will be devoted to destruction because of the wicked ways, but Rahab, the prostitute, do not touch her. I want to rescue her and restore her, and her faith in me has saved her. Has saved her. So if you've come, if you've come this morning thinking or even feeling that God doesn't want you, that he doesn't care about you, that somewhere along the line that stopped because of whatever has happened? Mm -mm. Let us not miss this this morning because we, have all, we are all, we all fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God, of his glory, of his holiness, we all fall short. Israelite, Canaanite, Gentile, Jew, every one of us in this room. But here's the truth, here's the promise that if we confess with our mouths, if we believe in our hearts that the God of Israel is the one, the one true God and Jesus is Lord, that he is our Savior, that we shall be saved. We shall be saved. That he wants all of us. He wants all of us. That's the power and the beauty of the gospel. From Old Testament to New Testament. And if you are feeling that this morning, if you are feeling those walls and you have not let him in, please, please consider not leaving today until you have let him in. We will have prayer teams right up front. Or you, you just come right to me. I will be happy to sit with you. Please don't leave today without letting him in. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. So this brings us to our last point this morning. It is by faith that we are saved. God's people, those Israelites, delivered their promise to Rahab. And the Lord saved Rahab because of her great faith. And in that salvation, in that salvation, he begins to restore her. No longer the label prostitute. 
And you'll see this. When she is mentioned in the New Testament, you don't see Rahab the prostitute. You see Rahab, a woman of great faith. Rahab, the wife. Rahab, the mother. Which, spoiler alert, she, Rahab, is actually the mother of a man named Boaz. And Boaz, we're going to learn about in a few weeks when we, uh, when we talk about the story of Ruth. And it's so good. But we'll get there. Um, yes, but it's amazing. And today she's remembered as one of the ancestors of Christ. She is in the lineage of the Messiah. Her yes mattered. Her faith mattered. The way she acted mattered. And she was known, of course, for her great faith. Mm, so good, so good. Well, let's close with prayer this morning. Prayer teams, if you can come forward just so folks know that you are present and here. Let's stand together as we just close in prayer. Father, this morning, may we be in awe of your hand, of your sovereignty, of your radical mercy, of how you want all of us. Thank you for the ways that you have used Rahab. Thank you for hearing her and for knowing her heart and how much that this This morning, how much that puts courage in us to believe you, to follow you, to dedicate our lives, our whole lives, not fragments of it, our whole lives to you. May you find us in that place this morning, Father. Thank you for your goodness and how every aspect of her life was used. Father, as we leave today, May you remain center for us. May we continue to come to you and to call upon your name and to trust you and to live out our faith. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a good week as you go and live. As I rise, strength of God, go before, lift me up. As I wake, eyes of God. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.